Hi, welcome to Spark of Joy, a conversational podcast for curious minds and soul searchers. I'm Lauren, your host, and today I'm talking to my good friend, fellow yoga teacher and history, philosophy and culture enthusiast, Laura Green. Laura and I work together and absolutely adore the history and philosophy of yoga. While this is not a yoga podcast, this is an in-depth conversation about some of the roots of yoga. We're going to be demystifying and diving into what makes yoga so fascinating and so explorational across the ages. I hope you enjoy. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Welcome, Laura. Um, Demystifying Tantra. I know that your brains are probably filling in the blank after that word. (laughs) We are going to be talking about Tantra today and I want you to put to the back of your mind that word that you fill in in your own brain afterwards. And also just a quick reminder, obviously I started this podcast for a multitude of reasons. There was always going to be a yoga episode, a yoga centric episode, but I want it to have depth. I really do want it to have depth. And that is exactly why I invited my wonderful friend, colleague, and I would go as far to say mentor as well, Laura Green. Uh, We've worked together for about three years, increasingly more every single year, which brings me so much joy. And I think one of the things that binds us together as friends more than anything is our love of continued learning and sharing that through yoga. And that's kind of what we want to get into as much as possible today. But before we do, Laura, could you introduce yourself? Tell us about your yoga journey and how it led you to the adoration of the subject of Tantra. Yes, of course. And thank you again for having me today. (laughs) And yes, it is the depth, the knowledge, the continued learning that I think we very much bond over every time I'm with you. Every time I listen to your podcast, I (laughs) always learn more and leave with sparks to go and delve deeper into as well. So thank you for enriching my life. (laughs) Yes, I have been practicing yoga for about 20 years now. And what do I love? When I first started coming to yoga, I had no idea what it was. Mm. I was 16, I was at school, I was a musician, I didn't like sport or exercise, and I was very disconnected from my body. Mm. As a musician, I'm a harpist, so I'm used to playing an instrument that is larger than my own body. And I felt more connected with that external instrument. That was how I expressed myself. Mm -hmm. And no idea what my body was other than something that carried my hands to play the harp. And we usually bloodied and blistered. And my mind to read music. My body was Mm -hmm. nothing else. And then there was the opportunity to go into a yoga class. And I remember having to take my shoes off (laughs) and take my socks off and I felt uncomfortable. Mm. 
I came onto this yoga mat and I felt vulnerable. I felt, was I going to get this right? Was I going to get this wrong? It felt almost like I was in a dance class and someone was going to try and tell me to go to the corner of the room and do an arabesque across to the other side of the room. It felt so exposed. And we got onto the yoga mat and the teacher, who was one of my friend's mums, said, close your eyes, bring your hands to your heart and feel your breath. And from that moment on, I was suddenly no longer aware of other people in the room. Mm. And I felt this conversation open with my body. And I will never forget that moment. So from then on, I continued to practice yoga in that way. And the more I practiced, the more I was intellectually curious, Mm. which led me to doing a foundation course and a teacher training with no intention to teach just as you are a forever learner Mm. (laughs) wanting depth. And then it was at that point I was introduced to the history of yoga. And I was introduced to the history of yoga and the philosophy of yoga as Patanjali Mm. and the Yoga Sutras. And for those of you that do not know what that is, Mm. Patanjali and the Yoga Sutras talks about the mind controlling the mind. So the goal being to quieten your mind, because we all know our minds run at such a pace Our lives are busy. We would all like a little bit more stillness in the mind. Mm. But the Patanjali and the Yoga Sutras and the eight limbs of yoga is about using your mind to do that. And I would struggle. I would sit for meditation and one part of my mind would be, you know, focusing on trying to count my breath. And another (laughs) part of my mind would be wandering off. And then as we explored more of the philosophy, it said things like, your body is a distraction from the mm. mind. There was even one line that spoke about having disgust in your own body. I was like, this doesn't resonate with my experience. Mm. And then I went to India. Then I met teachers who told me about Tantra. And it wasn't like I was learning something foreign mm. or something exotic. And I certainly wasn't learning something sexual. It was the yoga I had been taught. Yeah. Bring your hands to your body. Connect with your body, feel your body, cherish your body, come home into the body. And it was that that stilled my mind. Mm. And then that's what took my exploration into Tantra more. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more with that. And it's, I think for me, there was a shift in my teaching years. So I'd done, like you say, all of the learning, all of the exploration into Patanjali and the Yoga Sutras. And then it was only when I'd probably been teaching for a few years that I was looking around a room of people that were practicing with me. And I just suddenly said, don't focus on what it looks like, focus on how it feels. And as soon as I said that in the room, there was people lifting out of poses, not focusing on reaching into the depth of a physical posture, but going, why am I torturing myself to get into a shape that I might not be made for? Um... That's what led me to Tantra and that thought and that that philosophy of it. And yeah, like you say, just simply bringing your hands to your body and feeling that breath. It's always there. It's ever present. Yeah. The word Tantra can be divided very simply into two. Tan meaning expansion and tra meaning liberation. But there is a much nicer and much more deep meaning behind that, which I think, Laura, you speak of really beautifully. 
So Tantra is said to be the loom, like mm. a um, loom that makes tapestry, mm. like the, the, the old wooden instrument that makes tapestry. Um, and yes, we're talking about Tantra. So no doubt some of your minds have thought, Kama Sutra, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the exact um, connection. But the word sutra is um, many, many books from this period of time are written as sutras. It simply means a book which has a series of thoughts, often written in one line, poetic thoughts. And sutra, its word means stitch, mm. or like a sutra, a medical sutra. Yeah. Um, and tantra is the loom that brings all of those stitches together and makes this great tapestry of life. And that is what the science of Tantra is. It is a life science. Mm-hmm. It, yes, it is about sex yeah. <laughs> and using sex as an experience of the divine because sex is a part of life. Yes. But Tantra also covers art, religion, music, everything that is life, the great tapestry of life. But then on an individual level, it's also referencing that in Tantra, the belief is we are born whole. We are born as the complete tapestry and that the challenges of life can pull at some of the individual threads and some maybe get pulled more than others. Mm -hmm. And if a thread gets really pulled, holes can open up and we can no longer see the whole picture. Mm -hmm. It's like if you get a jigsaw and you've got all the pieces of the jigsaw, if you look at all of the pieces in the box you would have no idea what the whole picture was. Mm. You'd have to put the pieces together to see the picture. The same, you have to put all of these stitches together to remember the truth, the wholeness, the tapestry, that we are born perfect and whole. Mm. It's a coming back to that. Oh, wonderful, 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 wonderful. (laughs) So we've also had differences and I guess between the two of us we found two very different origins of Tantra whether there are two very different origins or because it's so old and before language before written word um, we just will never truly know but the the general history of Tantra it says it's roughly starts to predate or the practice of Tantra starts to spread around the 6th century BCE, which means it, it of course, predates most language, most writing, um, and the rise of it came out of a, what's the word I'm looking for, like a priestly kind of religion. So I guess before that, a lot of the Um, religion a lot of the philosophical practice would have been from the Vedas and Brahman culture so a Brahman would have been a priest-like figure invited into the home of people to um, have um, giving thanks with physical items into a fire Um, if anyone's ever done a puja that's exactly what that is it's a Vedic ritual of offering so then Tantra came out of that and was almost a a shunning of that way of of relief it came came separately from that Mm, okay so you had in india a lot of um the brahman the class system Mm. um but then you had the north of india um and you had this dravidian culture which Mm. was quite different actually because it was matriarchal 
Mm. Um, so it was this, this, this wonderful hub, it's often described as a melting pot of all things different. Yeah. And it came out of, of a matriarchy. And then there was no class system. The idea that if you wanted some experience of spirituality or some experiences of the divine or some experiences of God, that you had to go through a priest. Mm, Whereas yes. in the Dravidian culture, you didn't. You could have direct access. And it was from this matriarchal culture, this direct access to the divine, that, that Tantra rose almost separate. Mm. Um, but then it's it spread like wildfire because... It was so different. We had this um, strong caste system where, you know, almost like an advanced version of class, where if you are of a lower class, you can't have access to to the divine, Mm. you know? And and this was no, there was no class system. It was Mm. just everybody has the right (laughs) to experience the divine. Yeah. And that expansion and liberation of this form. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And that with that matriarchal society that that brought that, what came with it was very much a connection to the physical body. And I guess that's probably one of the earliest things that we could date back to the phrase, your body is a temple. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. And I think one thing I want to go back with, with on the Tantra is that those of you that do practice yoga or those of you that are interested in practicing yoga, mm. if you walk into many yoga classes right now, their roots, their practices are embedded in Tantra. Mm. And there is the practice of Tantric yoga. Not many yoga teachers even know no. that what they're teaching is Tantra because the common accepted view is that you're teaching Patanjali, the yoga sutras, the mind controlling the mind. Yeah. Um, but most of modern yoga is Tantra. Mm. Um, and I think we just don't tell anyone. I could imagine <laughs> if I put up a poster in Hedge End Village Hall saying, would you like to come to Tantric yoga 7pm on a Monday? I think I might be on my own. <laughs> Or if someone did come in, they'd probably expect to take their clothes off or something. Um, But most of what we teach is Tantra. Mm. So using your body as a vehicle to calm the mind first. So that's the first element. You know, we talk about the divine and that can be off-putting to people who aren't on a spiritual journey. Of course. But first of all, it is using your body to calm the mind. And you think about that right now. However you're feeling, if you're feeling maybe anxious for a moment, mm. if you inhale for the count of four, mm. exhale for the count of eight, your body quietens. It stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system, improves heart rate variability, lowers blood pressure, balances out your heart rate, the body calms. When the body becomes more calm, my mind becomes more calm. And the way I did that was a very physical body process, Mm. respiration, breath. Inhaled for four, exhaled for eight, my body had a physiological reaction, my mind had a reaction and calm. So this is the, the beginning of it, that you can use your body to calm the mind. And that's okay to stay there. Mm. But then the next step with Tantra is that when the mind is still, we can experience the truth. 
Mm. And the truth is that we are all one. We are the universe. What, what made the universe made us. If I look at a sunset and think it is the most beautiful thing I have ever seen, when I look upon a friend, a loved one, a dog, my cat, that same beauty is there. Mm, when I look at myself in a mirror, I am made of the same beauty that made a sunrise, a sunset, a waterfall. So that's what comes, use the body, calm the mind. When the mind is calm, you see those moments that there's no separation. Mm. Just excuse me while I breathe for the rest of this. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to sit here and breathe. Four counts in, eight counts out. I could do that. It's so simple. I could do that for a a very, very long time. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that, 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 that body is the temple, that idea. I feel personally that my relationship with my body has changed because of that thought process. So not just doing yoga, but also looking at life in that way. You know, when we look at the singular, the microcosm and the, the universal, the macrocosm, it is in a constant symbiotic relationship of flow and when I felt disconnected from that even as a dancer I spent so much time really honing what my body looked like what shapes it made had to look in the mirror every few seconds to make sure that what I was doing was making sure that that was what looked like what the teacher was doing over there and recreating it to the best of my ability and even though I had a very intimate relationship with what my body looked like, I still didn't have an intimate relationship with what it felt like. Mm. I'd get an injury. I'd push through it. I would feel uh, a twinge, an ache, anything, and I would try and ignore it or suppress it in some way. And it's only through that journey of exploration that I do truly feel like I am one whole thing, one whole being that, is harmonized not all the time it falls out of balance and back in or you know kicks up the other way but it's a it's a really really wonderful feeling to actually notice and you said that the very beginning when you went to your first yoga class and you took your shoes and your socks off and just feeling a even just a village hall floor underneath your bare foot can feel oddly jarring nowadays yet it's something that we should do, putting our feet in the grass, on the ground, and, and feeling that deep connection that we have to everything around us. Yeah. And yeah, it's something that I really enjoy. And we often say, like, when students arise from, from a class, whether we are students in the class or teaching the class, there is this sense of, we sometimes call it yoga drunk. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just this sense of, a, a, a wholeness, reconnecting to that wholeness that we are born with. And that can be felt so simply, and I'm glad you brought up dance, mm-hmm. but I, I think it's not just whether, like you, you've danced professionally, but even if somebody is going to a wedding mm. and dancing, mm-hmm. invariably, what is dance? It is moving our body and flow. Yeah. But most of the time, when we move our body, if you don't practice yoga... It is for an external benefit. Yes. So you start with a professional dancer. You are dancing to make aesthetically pleasing shapes to enable an audience to feel. Yes. And then if you are (laughs) 
it's been a very long time since I have been dancing in a club trying to impress <laughs> a, a potential mate. But if you are going out dancing like that, it's like, oh, I must dance to look sexy. Yeah. To look appealing, to magnetize someone yeah. towards me. Do I look good? Yeah. And then you bring that back to, you know, if you're dancing at a wedding or something, mm. you know, do I look good? Am I doing this right? What do other people think about how I'm dancing? There's a photographer in the corner that's going to snap me yeah. at any point. I have to look good. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> when you're coming from movement to feel good, it's the only intention. And that's the very beginnings of the tantric yoga practice. Mm. Move purely to feel good. And this brings us all the way back to how we're born whole. Mm. Because if you look at a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, oh, yeah. when they're just dancing, and they'll sometimes be out, you know, out in public, out at the village fair, mm-hmm. adults are talking, and over in the corner, there's a child dancing. Mm. Pirouetting, spiralling, dancing, falling over, laughing, full of joy. Because we came whole. We came knowing how to find joy, pleasure, fun in our own body. Mm. And then the threads got pulled. Yeah. And we forgot that. Yeah. So that that's what I want to share when I'm teaching yoga and that is then teaching tantra. Yes. First of all, only move to feel good. Mm. <laughs> move to feel good. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's not much else to it. So we've got we've got the movement, we've got a little bit of a history of Tantra. There obviously, like you say, are a myriad of other things that Tantra encompasses and holds within its teachings and explorations. One of them, again, another thing that I think people can feel a little uh, disconnected by, like you said, if someone is doing yoga but perhaps not on the spiritual path, talks of deities that do exist in the in Hinduism, Buddhism, and across most of the religions that stem from that area of the world, can bring a sense of withdrawal, I think, in some, in some people. But Tantra is heavily embedded within both Shiva and Shakti. And that is, broadly speaking, the masculinity and the femininity that we all have within us. Again, we are born that whole and we have those two elements within us. Can you talk a little bit about Shiva and Shakti? I would love to talk a little bit about Shiva and Shakti and I know I won't forget, but it did <laughs> remind me just to, to something else first, which is goddess worship. Oh, yeah. So a big part of Tantra yeah. is you, you have the gods, yeah. <laughs> but there was a lot of goddess worship and there's a lot of yogini they're called Mm. yogini is the word for a female goddess Mm -hmm. and also a female practitioner of tantra yeah and nowadays often used as a female practitioner of yoga yeah but yogini is also the 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 female goddesses and there were yogini temples goddess Mm. temples all around india and they've been largely unstudied Mm. (laughs) um in unstudied but this great worship of the goddesses as well as the gods. And when you think, okay, I don't feel comfortable with goddess worship. I don't mm. understand it. Um, it's, you know, maybe from a different religion. I'm, I'm yeah. not sure about that. But actually, it's it, yes, it can be seen as an external goddess. Mm. Like there's the goddess of Lakshmi, that people would pray to Lakshmi for um, abundance, for wealth, prosperity. for prosperity. Yeah. 
Um, and some people will view that as an external goddess you mm. can worship to. But there's also the belief that actually the different goddesses have within them values, qualities. Mm. And that we, as you said, we're all born whole. We all have these qualities within us. So if I am maybe drawn into a feel of lack, if maybe I'm concerned about opportunities, money, I'm feeling fearful, have I got enough, a feeling of lack, I could spend some time thinking about the goddess Lakshmi. They all have different chants, different energies mm. to refine that quality within me. Yes. And I always think of the, the because it came from a matriarchal society and the, the power of women, and they were not scared mm. of women. In Tantra, they see the wholeness of a woman. Yes. And they see that wholeness, it's explained like a rose. Mm. So if you were to think of a rose, bring a rose to mind now. What do you see when you visualize a rose? And I'm probably asking the wrong person asking you this. <laughs> but what do you see when you think of a rose? Personally, I love a rose before it's unfurled its petals. So you have thought of the flower. The flower. Yeah. And that's really common. Yeah. So when people think of women as mm. a goddess, we think of um, the softness, the beauty, the sweetness, mm. the, the female nurturing, beauty, sweet, soft color, mm. that way of being a woman. Mm. And Tantra saw that, yes. Yeah. Women were color, beautiful, aroma, sweet, sweet things. <laughs> but then they also saw that the, the rose has an incredibly strong stem. Yeah. Incredibly I've strong. just tried to cut stem. one. <laughs> yes, yeah. If you get a bouquet of flowers, it takes you a moment to cut those scissors it through does. the bottom of it. So we have this incredible strength mm. within us. But what's the other predominant thing a rose has? Thorns. Thorns. And thorns are this fierce protection. Mm. And a woman, a goddess, is all of that. Yeah. We are the soft beauty because we have a strong... And, and when we say women, it, as we said, it's non-dualistic. It's in a man as yeah. much as in a woman. Yes. We have the strong stem, a strong backbone. So that could be my values, mm. my belief system, my boundaries. Yeah. So I have that strength which enables me to be generous, kind, loving. Because if somebody takes advantage of my sweet, generous, kind, loving nature, that's okay. Because mm. underneath that, I have a strength, I have a boundary, and I will stand up for myself. Yeah. If I'm pushed further mm. and I don't feel safe, my family don't feel safe, mm. or a cause I feel passionate about is um, under threat. Yeah. Um, then I have thorns. Yeah. And I'm not scared to come out and use those thorns yeah. <laughs> in service of what I love, what's important to me, what I'm passionate about. Mm. And Tantra just got this, the wholeness of a woman. And you see that through, the, the, they're split out into different goddesses. Mm. So um, Kali is the thorns. Yeah. Durga is the backbone. Parvati is the flower. Yeah. But So what I'm saying with goddess worship, sorry, that's the longest tangent. I love a long tangent. <laughs> Is that we have all of these in us, yes. but we can get so stuck in one. So say you have been in a very troublesome part of your life and you've been having to be in the fight or flight mm. and your thorns have been coming up and you're feeling anger and you're feeling frustration. We can say, 
I'm angry, I'm an angry person, yeah. and feel really disconnected from my sweetness. Mm. Like, oh no, but that person, Lauren, is so sweet. <laughs> and then that undermines you. Mm. No, I have backbone. I, yeah. So it's just really remembering we have all of these in us, but sometimes we just forget. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't the question you asked me. It wasn't the question, <laughs> but I enjoyed the journey that you took me on. And talking about flowers, you have brought me a bouquet of flowers this morning, which I love. And anyone who brings me a bouquet of flowers <laughs> is absolutely a wonderful person in my eyes. But you gave me the flowers and I trimmed them and I have organised them. I have put them into a vase <laughs> And we're looking at the flowers right now. They're a beautiful bunch of flowers. When we talk about the the worship of, of the goddess, when we talk about Shiva and Shakti, all of the different types of worship, the predominant metaphor for that is a vase in flowers. So it's very appropriate, the gift you brought this morning. <laughs> You've brought the flowers. I've provided the vase. And that's exactly how Tantra sees Shiva and Shakti, the masculine and feminine entities that are non-dualistic. Non-dualistic meaning inseparable, meaning mm -hmm. harmonised, combined. Some One might spike at one point, the other may spike another. Again, that, that, that sweetness, that, that strong backbone. And talk a little more on, on that, on the, on the Shiva Shakti, because I find it so interesting that this is such an ancient practice and I'm I'm really not qualified to talk on this subject, but I do think it deserves at least a, a comment on the way people view sexuality nowadays mm. is such a blend of the masculine and the feminine. People recognising the fact that men do have this feminine energy within them and women the masculine energy within them as well. And it's it's when those two combine together that we can really step into that strength and that power and that sense of balance. That was the most skillful segue back <laughs> to what you had asked me and what I wanted to talk about. To the degree I was so far off on my tangent, I was like, where's she going? The fact I bought her flowers. <laughs> yes, you're bringing me back to where I wanted to be. Shiva and Shakti. Um, this would be decades worth of research one could go into mm. on this mm -hmm. um but yes so it is seen that shiva um is the container of life mm. consciousness so you can see that in um earth the mm. planet if we didn't have an earth and a planet where would we live mm. <laughs> you know, so you can see that with a vase you need a vase to hold a bouquet of flowers in water. Okay? Otherwise, you just stood holding them in your hand yeah. until they disintegrate. <laughs> and they can't, they couldn't go in water, so they wouldn't last very long. Yeah. So you have this empty vessel, you have this vase um, that is just holding potential. Mm. It is the container. And then to in that, you add Shakti, which is the manifestation of life energy. Mm. So when you look at flowers, you see as abundance of life you mm. see color you see shape texture. there's texture there's aroma mm. um, but more than that there's feeling mm. most people have an emotional reaction to 
flowers. Mm. And we know feeling is a part of life's manifestation of energy. And then the water they sit within, the fluidity um, that, that, that nurtures, that holds. But yes, Shiva is seen as the container, mm. Shakti, the life energy, the flowers inside of that. And they need each other. Mm. And now this can often be separated into Shiva being masculine, Shakti being feminine. Mm. Um, and by that, I'm not meaning male, no, female. No, it's no. The, it's a little the too linear and in an intra. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Interpretation. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> and we, in our world at large, we need both. Mm. And the both is in everyone. Yes. Yeah. And it's working out. Um, some people might be more connected to their ability to be a container, mm. to be a holder. My husband is an amazing container and holder. He is a vase. <laughs> um, and, and then other people feel more drawn to being the light, the giggle, yeah. <laughs> the flower, the smell, the aroma. Yeah. But we, we need that together. And again, the most random segue. I was talking to another yoga teacher about my fabulous circle of yoga teacher friends. Mm. So I was talking about Lauren <laughs> and your partner, Ben, mm. who um, works with trees, yep. works with wood, is yep. very earthy. Very. And then I was talking about my husband, Simon, who, um, you know, he's making his own sourdough bread. Mm. He is, you know, doing very kind of homely, earthy, grounded, slow mm. things. And then I was speaking about our joint friend, Gemma, whose partner, John, is making um, mead and his own beer. Yeah. Um, and this other external person said, how interesting that as yoga teachers, we're more light, up, airy, scattered, creative. <laughs> we're more the, the flowers. The, the, and you have found balance mm. with these slow, <laughs> earthy, rooted, grounded, connected partners. Yeah. So that is that, like how we naturally find our, our, our balance. Mm. But we need everything. We need to celebrate What's bringing more of the Shakti? What's bringing more of yeah. the Shiva? And celebrate our differences to make a whole. And there's that really famous thought in relationships where one is the gardener and the other is the flower. Mm. <laughs> so it's a, such a such a really interesting similarity and, and pull. I'd never made that connection before that in a relationship there is usually one that gardens and one that flowers. Yeah, you know. and I it's, remember it's, the first sli- time I different. that. It felt almost negative. Yeah. Like like one was serving the other to blossom. Mm. And actually, want, we want the wholeness. We want everyone, be it in a relationship or your friend, friend circle, your family circle, your colleagues. We want to support everyone's blossoming. Yeah. But knowing that everyone can bloom and blossom in a different way. Different ways, yeah. Yeah. If Ben were a <laughs> an entity that grew <laughs> in soil, <laughs> he would have, I think a much bigger root system than something that grew upwards. He'd be mycelium. Roots. Do you know what Ben would be? (laughs) And Ben taught me this. So Ben is an arborist and Ben came to a field that I own that has an ancient woodland. Mm. And Ben has been teaching me about the trees. And there is one tree in a whole row. So it's a traditional row of oak trees Mm. and they're all big tall beautiful and high Mm. and then there's one that is shorter Mm. and it's really gnarly (laughs) and really knobbly (laughs) and you wouldn't (laughs) notice it you'd walk past but yeah 
whenever it's spring, that is the tree that is full of the spring um, birds in the, in the song. Mm. All of the birds are singing in that tree and mm. they're not in the others. They can feel its subtle beauty. And then mm. when Ben showed me that tree, you see, Ben is a lover of trees. He does not want trees to be chopped down. No. He said, if that tree was too full mm. or need to be chopped down, mm. and Ben works with wood, he said it would make the most beautiful wood yeah. on the inside because yeah. all of those knots and gnarls a character on yeah. the inside. <laughs> yeah. Ben's that tree. Ben's that tree. Ben's that gnarly little oak. <laughs> I'm sure we'd be really chuffed to hear that. Does he listen to your podcast? Oh, uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Good. I'm just playing this little section. <laughs> um. Well, that is an excellent representation. I think that's one of the other things that I just adore about the teachings of Tantra so much. It's because you are then taught to look at the the world around you as a part of it. And it is, like you said about, earlier, about the sunset and what creates all the atoms and the tiny pieces that make up that sunset are also completely replicated within us as well. Um, and it's all just everything that is expansively growing and growing and growing throughout time before culminating together again at some point in... And the fact that the, science backs the, that up. Yeah. So my husband is not doesn't work with trees. He's an engineer. <laughs> He's a man of science. Yeah. So if I say anything that's questionable, he will make me explore that in more depth with mm. him. And when I was saying about, you know, we, we are made of the stuff of, of the universe. He's like, well, of course you are. Mm. We needed stars to go supernova, yeah. to release all of the elements needed that make up a human body. Mm. And it's highly likely that it was more than one star that had to go supernova yeah. for there to be all of the elements in the body to have reassembled in you. And that's science and tantra together. Mm. But that, that there is what made the universe made you <laughs> yeah 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 it's absolutely tremendous and we're gonna end I think end I say end this is again probably gonna last longer than I imagine because there is so much depth to go into but there is um feelings that we can tap into when practicing yoga in a tantric way and this is where I feel the bridge between what we've been talking about and the tantric sex, the Karma Sutra, all of that element comes into it. So I feel like at some point this school of thought, this way of thinking obviously had to encompass intimacy because it is part of life. Like you say, we're weaving everything, we're born whole and and it is a part of our experience of life. It's how we procreate. It's how we are here today because people have been doing mm -hmm. that for millennia. And they really worshipped that. They really worshipped female menstruation. They worshipped the cycle of life, the cycle of the month in women, the cycle of everything. There are beautiful images and beautiful worship points that you've spoken about on this can you paint that in a little bit more i paint it on the, the male and the female mm, as well yeah. so yes <laughs> there is no taboo mm. around menstruation 
the idea that you know that there's anything shameful it's it's actually worshipped and we're only just getting that back now well because <laughs> we can't have civilization without no. menstruation right no. you know that is where creativity of life energy comes from mm. but equally we can't have that without semen yeah, well yeah and both <laughs> menstruation menstrual blood and semen is mm. seen as potent um creative energy yeah. and that is where some of the sexual practices in tantra have come from because yeah. it was believed that semen is an absolutely potent source of life energy yeah and that some people would therefore choose to take a path of celibacy to keep that life energy with inside of themselves. Yeah. And then they could dedicate their life energy to other things like meditation and mm. spiritual practice. Yeah. Whereas other people would choose to make the act of ejaculation sacred. Yes. So that it was really worth that loss of fluid externally from the body. Yeah. And then on the menstruation side, you there, there's particularly one temple in the northeast... Mm. which is a temple devoted to the goddess of menstruation. Mm. And you will see the goddesses in tantric um, imagery, you sitting with their legs apart, sitting mm. with the color, a blood red color. Um, and this particular um, temple is set on a mountain that has a lot of iron in the soil. Mm. And after the monsoons, there's a particular time when the river on the mountain actually flows with a blood red rusty color to it mm. that's come out from the earth and this is when people will make pilgrimages to this temple to worship and give thanks to the, the goddess of menstruation yeah. but then within us in our physical yoga practice we can connect with i like to call these the two rivers of the spine mm. so it is believed that um within all of us we have a milky white liquid Sounds a little like semen to me, Im imagery-wise. Yeah. And it is Amrita. Amrita mm. is the fluid of the body which is connected with immortality, our life energy. And we all want to, A, live a little longer in our physical body. Yep. And have more strength, more energy in that. Mm -hmm. But going back to the imagery, it's said that this Amrita sits at the base of the skull, at the brainstem. Mm. And that it drips down the spine. And as we go through life, almost imagine that like you flipped an egg timer mm. and that that dripping is coming down the spine. And that when the cup of Amrita in the head has run dry and it's all dripped down the spine, we're at the end of our life. Yeah. But you can trick that. Again, imagine your egg timer. If you just kept flipping it back up, <laughs> turning it back around. You'd be like, oh, that sand has been pulling down the bottom of my egg timer. Let me flip it before it runs out. And that you can bring more years to your life, more life to those years. So one of the ways of flipping our own egg timer is to go upside down. Mm. And this is called the Pariti Karani, to yeah. go upside down. So a lot of people think of that as legs up the wall. Yeah. But it could a, be... A very specific pose yeah. in yoga, yeah. It can be sitting with your back on the floor, legs up the wall. Mm. It can be turning yourself upside down to a headstand. Mm. It could be kicking your legs up against a wall into a handstand. Yeah. It could be simply standing on your feet hinging forwards from your hips and hanging mm. or you know those in an you, aerial yoga yes. hammock <laughs> so those you, no, Lauren in an aerial hammock so it's about going upside down so you, yeah. you're reverting this flow of um 
Amrita. But there's another river of the spine, which is the goddess Kundalini, mm. is, is represented as this coiled serpent at the base of the spine. And she is a goddess, so she is connected with blood red. Mm. And that, that is flowing up and down the spine as well. And we want to unite Shiva, Shakti, feminine, masculine. We want to unite these two rivers. Mm. The flow of Amrita, the, 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 the flow of Kundalini. Yeah. Um, and you can feel these. You know, if you simply um, you know, round and arch your back, mm. you can feel a connection between your lower back, the sacrum, and the base of your skull. And you can imagine the breath like a river. So you imagine inhaling from the base of your skull down to your sacrum. And you imagine feeling it back up. And I think everyone can feel energy. We just feel it differently. Mm. And we start by imagining we can feel it. So imagine feeling your breath like a river up and down your spine. And then as you become more practiced at it, sometimes that's replaced with like a tingle or a fizz or a heat or a color. And you start to realize you can actually feel the flow of energy in the body. You can feel the rivers of the spine. And to connect that super briefly to some science, <laughs> so you have the, the base of the skull, the brainstem, and you have the sacrum, the lumbar sacrum area. In our body, we have clusters of nerves that come mm. out in these two areas. And you have nerves that are connected to your parasympathetic nervous system. Mm -hmm. That is your place of rest and ease. If you stimulate those nerves, it makes your body relax. It's like computer shortcut keys. And these <laughs> two areas come out the same places, the base of your skull and the base of your spine. And if you move, connecting mm. these two, breathing these two, you can stimulate these nerves. You can encourage the body to come into a place of rest. When you're in the parasympathetic nervous system, your body is in rest and renewal. Mm. When you rest and renew regularly, you're going to be adding more life to your life, more years. Because yeah. stress is a killer. Yeah. And then you're going to be adding more energy to that. Mm. So there's connection. Mm. I don't want to layer connection too much, but there's connection there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's also um, anatomically the... Those two curves, those two areas, the lower back and the, the very top of the spine, those two curves come in when we're, what, 18 months old? When You went from when you're a baba, yeah, yeah when you start looking yeah. for food. Yeah, so those two curves are linked with that early progression as well. So there's a really lovely parallel with those two areas coming into our lives and feeling that sense of natural joy that we have at that age, mm -hmm. at that stage of our lives, uh, which I think is really, really beautiful. I wanted to end with a way of kind of culminating all of this together and to perhaps work through a little bit of a meditation. So just finding your way to a comfortable seated position. And whether you need a lift under your seat, whether you're on a chair, maybe you're even laying down. If you are, just keep that conscious awareness in the present moment as much as you can. Bringing your hands to your body, one to the belly and one to the chest, the heart space. And closing the eyes. Relaxing all of the muscles through your face. Maybe 
wiggling the eyebrows or lifting them high and letting them settle again. Maybe wiggle the nose, move the jaw. Feel free to scrunch the face and then let it release. Let your shoulders drift back, especially if you're seated. Just take them back by perhaps an inch or so. So you really feel your sit bones connecting to the earth beneath you. And then allow your awareness to drift to your breath. Notice the sound. Notice the sensations. Notice how it feels within your body. Where does it move? Feel that natural rhythm. The uplifting quality of the inhale. The soft releasing quality of the exhale. And if you haven't done so yet today, really allow yourself to connect to your body. Maybe during this conversation, you've had some aha moments. Some moments where you have felt something akin to what's been described. an ability to tap into a deeper sense of your physical being. Whether that be the description of the rivers of the spine, whether that be feeling a strong thorny stem within you, from which a sweet smelling blossoming rose emerges. Maybe you feel the outer edges of your body like a container, a vessel, a shapely vase for all of your individual beauty to be displayed through and from. Remember, this is a practice so ancient, completely free and completely necessary. Bringing that sense of fullness, attention, intention and exploration.
wherever you have gone. Start to journey back to yourself. Whether you feel a drawing inwards or an emerging out from, just begin to reawaken your body with a deeper appreciation and connection to that breath. As Laura said earlier, perhaps inhaling for four. And exhaling for eight. Let's try that twice more. Feel the physical benefits that fill your entire body and start to reawaken with movement, wiggling the fingers, the toes, the head and neck, the extremities of the body, the areas we connect to our surroundings the most often. And start to feel the movement making its way down into the body, maybe into the ankles, the legs. Feel free to stretch or simply bask in this feeling you've created. And then as soon as you're ready, take an inhale to circle the arms and connect the palms up over your head and draw the palms down to heart center. May I share a chant? Please do. Since we've been talking about the goddesses, I wanted to give them thanks with a little chant. Jaya Mata Kali Jaya Mata Duge Jaya Mata Kali Jaya Mata Duge I can't think of a better way to end this conversation other than with an Om Shanti Om Shanti A wishing of peace from me to you. Laura, thank you so much for joining us today for this wonderful conversation. I hope that it has brought a little more to your experience of yoga if you do yoga and if you are looking to try yoga, perhaps the knowledge of the depth, the history, the culture, the philosophy that goes behind it can really start to colour wherever you are on your journey. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Wonderful. (laughs) And I will see you next time. Thank you so much for joining Laura and myself for that very enlightening conversation on Tantra. 
You can find Laura at Laura Green Yoga on Facebook, on Instagram, and just a simple Google search will bring her fairly close to the top of your screen. Laura runs an immersion course for aspiring academic yogis who wish to delve into the teachings of yoga. She also runs a yoga teacher training course, as well as running deeply nourishing, story-filled and enriching yoga retreats. Please do reach out to her if finding out more on this subject has really brought to the forefront a thirst of knowledge for you. Before I close, I would love to say a huge thank you to every single person who financially supports this podcast via Patreon. If you are able to, a simple five or perhaps £10 a month brings you early access to every single podcast episode, along with monthly live classes with me that are recorded for your keeping. Until the next episode, take care. Om Shanti. Om Shanti.